Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, and I'm your host each week as we dive into the political scene going on here in the U.S. and give you some uh, updates, information, background, things you need to know uh, in order to have a better understanding of how our political machine works or doesn't work uh, in the United States. So let's get into it. Uh, All right. If you've been paying attention, you know now that after some three weeks uh, of uh, pretty much back-to-back-to-back WTF moments in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, they finally elected a speaker. Uh, And it was done with a unanimous vote of the entire Republican caucus, uh, which is a point I want to dive into a little bit um, as as we go through. So we now have uh, Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana as the new uh, speaker of the House of Representatives in Washington. And I wanted to give you a little background on uh, the speaker uh, what you need to know, and uh, you know what kind of things maybe we can expect from him as he uh, takes the reins and leads his caucus uh, through up to the elections in November. And the second point we're going to talk about a little bit later. So uh, this is uh, a background from biography.com. Uh, After searching a few websites, uh, I think this one uh, pretty much covers it. So, uh, and again, after three weeks uh, since uh, Kevin McCarthy was removed as Speaker of the House of Representatives, um, Mike Johnson uh, has finally assumed the gavel uh, on uh, a week ago Wednesday. Uh, So, as I said, the Republican House... Uh, voted 220 to 208, uh, making Johnson, who's 51 years old and whose full name is James Michael Johnson, the 56th speaker uh, in the history of the United States. So, you know, he has called it, quote, the honor of a lifetime. And in, in a quote he posted on um, X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it, uh, he said, and I quote, Uh, As Speaker, I will ensure the House delivers results and inspires change for the American people. We will restore trust in this body, uh, is a statement. Uh, So he has uh, had to hit the ground running, as it were, uh, as he now plays his key role in Congress uh, with some very uh, weighty and critical issues Uh, immediately facing him as he starts his new speakership. Uh, Notably, uh, there are uh, a little bit less than uh, 14 days, 12 days uh, remaining before the uh, continuing resolution that was passed uh, by the Congress uh, or by the House uh, prior to Kevin McCarthy uh, exiting as speaker. Uh, At that point, the government, uh, on or about November 18th, uh, will run out of money and, you know, is likely to shut down. And, you know, you can you can argue for optimism, but given the contentious nature of the House, uh, even though not 
you know, all of the representatives uh, voted for him to become speaker. Not all of them are on board with uh, enacting a an additional continuing resolution. Uh, some of the most conservative, the far right wing of the party, actually uh, seems to be hell bent on having the government shut down and, you know, going through all the pain there, probably so that, you know, they can use that as leverage uh, over the Democrats uh, in the House and perhaps in the Senate as well to, you know, get a, a, an agenda through that is more to their liking. And as, as we go along over the next couple of weeks, we will, in fact, touch on this as well in upcoming episodes. Uh, so uh, Johnson, as most uh, individuals who uh, sit in the House of Representatives in the Senate, is a lawyer. Uh, he has a law degree from Louisiana State University. Uh, he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration from Louisiana State in 1995. Uh, three years later, he earned his Juris Doctor from uh, the school's Herbert Law Center. Uh, in addition to his background as a lawyer, uh, he's also served as a professor for Liberty University in the past five years. He began his political career in the Louisiana State Legislature in 2015. He ran for the U.S. House, uh, representing uh, Louisiana's 4th Congressional District in 2016, uh, defeating Democratic candidate Marshall Jones with 65% of the vote. Uh, in January 2017, he assumed his office and he has since won three additional terms in the U.S. House. Uh, Johnson serves on, uh, served on the Judiciary Committee and the Armed Services Committee. Uh, he's also the vice chairman of the Republican House Conference and holds an assistant leadership role as the GOP deputy whip. Uh, he is, uh, according to the information, he is a devout Christian. Uh, a proud evangelical Christian. Uh, he's quoted as saying, I don't believe there are any coincidences. I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. This is my belief. Uh, he uh, is a family man. He and his uh, wife, Kelly, who were married uh, in 1999 under uh, Louisiana uh, law, called a, you know, under a covenant marriage, which means that, you know, under the law in Louisiana, premarital counseling and additional counseling are required before a couple can be granted a divorce. Uh, they have four children together. According to the New York Times, Johnson once called homosexuality, quote, inherently unnatural. Uh, in 2015, he gained prominence when he uh, proposed a Louisiana bill that would have prevented uh, adverse treatment by the state of any person or entity on the basis of views they may hold with regard to marriage. Uh, he, you know, critics uh, have named that as an attempt to legalize discrimination against married gay couples. In Congress, he's voted for a national abortion ban, and uh, coincidentally, he, owns, he holds an A-plus rating from the anti-abortion group uh, the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Uh, he has uh, been a talk radio host and a podcaster, and along with his wife, they have a podcast 
uh, on uh, now. He is perhaps a protege of an uh, individual named Tony Perkins, who is the president of the Family Research Council Evangelical Activist Group. Uh, according to Politico, Perkins, uh, who is a controversial figure who's argued that natural disasters are a form of divine punishment for homosexuality, uh, began inviting Johnson to serve as a guest host on his national radio show, uh, Washington Watch, in 2015. And, you know, he has continued to appear on the show in the years since. As I said, he and his wife host a podcast called The Truth Be Told with Mike and Kelly Johnson. Uh, they launched that in 2022. Uh, they promised on that podcast to review current events, current events, excuse me, through the lens of eternal truth. Now, he, uh, one of the things he's most noted for is he was an ardent supporter of President Donald Trump and uh, made multiple attempts to swing the results of the 2020 election following Trump's loss to President Joe Biden. Uh, he and 125 other House Republicans signed a U.S. Supreme Court amicus brief in a Texas lawsuit arguing that Biden's victories in the battleground states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin were invalid because election officials changed voting procedures without first seeking legislation, legislative approval. Uh, after the uh, January 6th insurrection, uh, Johnson was one of the individuals who voted against certifying uh, President Biden's victory in two states. So uh, following you know, his appointment on Wednesday, uh, he has not made any comments on uh, those efforts um, and you know, stated that his position is very well known and he's not making any additional comments uh, on those issues today. Uh, it should be noted, Johnson is the least experienced speaker in more than 140 years. What that means is he is uh, leading, uh, having served only 6.81 years in the House prior to his appointment on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, he's only second to John G. Carlisle's 6.75 years prior to the start of his speakership back in December of 1883. Now, as is consistent with uh, many of the conservative Republican Party's views, uh, he has already come out uh, with uh, comments about Social Security and Medicare, and he is on record uh, making bold and dramatic proposals to cut and reform both Social Security and Medicare. And uh, this is according to an article from Market Watch. Uh, his ideas are likely to have a key role as the, the shaping political battle over both programs uh, is gaining new fire. Uh, so, you know, he is contending, as, as many do in, in that wing of the political spectrum, that both programs face major financial crises that may only be resolved by deep cuts to benefits or by higher taxes. Uh, he was, as I said earlier, chair of the Republican Study Committee, uh, a, a conservative House caucus, when it laid out a blueprint for reforming both programs in 2019. Since then, he's publicly doubled down on the need for urgency in reforming both programs. Now, he has uh, significantly backtracked on one of his 
key proposals. But, you know, he continues to be a firm uh, adherent to the need for uh, cuts in Social Security and Medicare. Uh, He, as part and his committee, proposed to sharply scale back the future cost of living adjustments to Social Security benefits for higher income and even middle income people. He also proposed a total overhaul of Medicare, switching it over to a to private insurance companies and drastically cutting how much the federal government spends on better off seniors. Uh, The proposals would move both programs toward means-tested benefits, targeting them to people who need them most rather than to all seniors. Now, step out of the article for a quick second here. Uh, When you hear uh, people talking about, uh, you know, overhauling and moving uh, Social Security and Medicare to private insurance companies, uh, basically that would make them more like the current uh, crop of Medicare Advantage uh, programs that are out there, which uh, for the most part, if you do the research, are uh, pretty much universal, universally panned as uh, problematic, difficult, hard to negotiate with, restrictive, uh, and costly. So, you know, there's a, a flag uh, flying over that that we need to pay attention to. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Johnson and his committee also proposed raising the age of eligibility to both Social Security and Medicare by several years and ensuring that age would keep rising in the future as U.S. life expectancies rise. Uh, so uh, these uh, proposals he's made have been slammed as, of, as extremists by liberal critics and many in the media, but Johnson says they are an attempt to balance the program's books without having to raise taxes. The trustees and Social Security, I'm sorry, the trustees of the Social Security and Medicare trust funds revealed in their latest annual reports that the two programs have a total funding gap of $25 trillion, almost equal to the U.S. uh, annual gross domestic product. Uh, This is on top of the official national debt, which is also about equal to GDP. Uh, Now, that $25 trillion doesn't include future funding needs of Medicare's non-hospital benefits, which would be paid out of general taxation, nor does it include the present value of the two programs' unfunded liabilities beyond the next 75 years, which amount to trillions more even in today's dollars. So, you know, on Social Security, uh, the committee, his committee in 2019 proposed ending all annual cost of living adjustment, or COLAs, for retirees with an annual income of more than 85000 for single people or 170000 a year for joint filers. They also proposed phasing out auxiliary Social Security benefits, such as spousal and child benefits for higher earners. Uh, and they proposed scaling back future COLAs for anyone else by changing the official inflation calculations. As I said, the, you know, his, the committee was proposing drastic changes to Social Security, but even more drastic changes uh, to the Medicare program. Uh, at the heart 
uh, would involve moving it to a version of Obamacare. Under the committee's pro proposals, Medicare would be, in the future, mostly delivered by private insurance companies, although traditional government-run Medicare would also be an option. Seniors would purchase their Medicare insurance through an exchange or marketplace specifically for seniors. The government would spend its money on subsidies, means-tested toward those who needed them the most to help them buy insurance. While, you know, the, the proposal of completely shifting Medicare to private companies, uh, which is very politically controversial, uh, but it should be noted that process is already well underway. More than half of all Medicare beneficiaries already get their insurance from private insurers through the Medicare Advantage program. And this program has been under uh, rigorous criticism uh, pretty much since its inception uh, for the amount of uh, controversy it has created, uh, primarily through placing uh, medic insurance program uh, uh, folks in between the patient and their doctors when it comes to decisions meaning uh, when a uh, more than standard procedure is needed, such as an MRI or CAT scan or, you know, something more uh, in invasive or um, complicated, uh, the Medicare program administrators will step in and evaluate the need for that. And if they deem that it is not, uh, quote, necessary, close quote, they will, in fact, not agree to 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 fund it so you know he's he's already jumping in the middle of the uh, social security and medicare uh, firestorm placing him in the leadership of one side of the battle between republicans and democrats where uh, democrats are looking to bail out the programs through increasing taxes uh, generally on the the wealthy uh, as uh, well as uh, other changes uh, to benefit uh, recipients more. So, you know, as I said, he is jumping right in the middle of a political firestorm uh, right off the bat. Add to that are the facts that you've got, you know, two hot wars going on that the U.S. is involved uh, in supporting, uh, you know, uh, combatants in that. Uh, you have most recently, of course, we have the uh, war between Israel and Hamas uh, in, you know, in the Middle East uh, that is uh, looking to uh, to uh, get resources and support from the United States, which have been delayed, you know, for the three weeks during the time that uh, the speakership was vacant. And, you know, we also have uh, the ongoing uh, war between Ukraine and Russia, which the U.S. was actively supporting uh, both of the proposals. Uh, the Biden administration has proposed uh, a single uh, funding package that would include uh, aid for Israel as well as aid for Ukraine, uh, in addition to some funding to uh to uh, expand and complete more of the border wall and some other programs. Uh, Republicans have uh, stated that, number one, 
they want to look carefully at the funding package. And uh, Speaker Johnson has indicated uh, his in- intention to separate uh, the Israeli uh, support from the Ukraine support, ostensibly uh, looking to pass uh, some 14 plus billion dollars in aid to Israel, uh, but leaving aid to Ukraine kind of up in the air with what they want to do. So, uh, as I said, he is stepped in the middle of a uh, political firestorm. And it it should be noted, and I I mentioned this earlier, uh, he is a a relatively young congressperson, uh, only uh, having four uh, House terms under his belt. And, you know, that is creating uh, some uh, concern among uh, critics that you know his his leadership skills may not be necessarily up to the task of what he needs to accomplish uh, in the year remaining until the 2024 election when all members of the House of Representatives are up for re-election. So it remains to be seen, you know, what's going to happen with that. Uh, but it's clear he's got, um, you know, a, a, a heavy lift ahead of him. Uh, and there is uh, some concern uh, over his uh, uh, Christian viewpoints on, you know, such subjects as a, a nationwide abortion ban which he is on the record as supporting and would like to see enacted, uh, as well as uh, other uh, cuts to social programs and other things that are uh, in the uh, conservative Republican wheelhouse that the uh, Democrats and the administration are you know, not in agreement with. Combine that with the fact that you are talking about a divided government. Now, Republicans control the House by a very slim four-seat majority. Uh, Democrats control the Senate by an equally slim uh, uh, one-seat margin at present because there's vacancies. Uh, And, you know, they obviously have the White House under President Biden. And we have that little thing called a national election coming up in a few months. And actually, uh, as of this airing, it will be exactly a year until the uh, 2024 general election in this country. So there is a lot to get done uh, and you know a, a lot of battles and a lot of plates he's going to need to keep spinning in the air uh, over the course of the next 12 months. And it is you know not a given that Republicans will retain control of the House uh, you know and given, what is going on politically and the controversies uh, surrounding not only uh, what the House has done to date, but what the new speaker's proposals could bring that, you know, there's a real case that the Republicans might lose control of the House uh, in in November. And, you know, that would change the math on just about everything. So suffice it to say, uh, we're looking at some politically interesting times uh, over the next year as we head toward the uh, 2024 elections. 
some of the things that are going to play into it are outcomes from the the numerous uh, criminal trials that former President Trump faces. Uh, in addition, there are other uh, controversies. Uh, the House has taken up discussion on expelling uh, Congressman uh, Santos, George Santos. Uh, there have been uh, two attempts at a uh, censure motion uh, brought by Representative Green seeking to uh, get a censure vote on Congresswoman uh, Rashida Tlaib. In addition, uh, the Democratic uh, side of the House has also brought forward a uh, resolution of censorship or censor to uh, against Representative Green as well. Uh, so, you know, the the battles are there and we will watch them uh, play out. We will keep you informed of it and uh, we'll let you know what's going on. So uh, let's take our break right here. Uh, Want to spend a moment uh, talking about uh, something that we're doing here on the Fired Up podcast for the month of November uh, with regard to November being um, National Diabetes Awareness Month. So we've got a short little uh, blurb here uh, from yours truly, and uh, then we'll talk more about the politics of diabetes here in the United States. So keep it locked. You're right here on Fired Up on WJMS Media, and we'll be right back after our break. Hey there, America. This is Stephen Bowles, host of the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. November is Diabetes Aware Month, and full disclosure, I am a type 2 diabetic, so this is something that's more than just a subject for discussion for me. It's personal. Fired Up will be airing segments on what is being done to address diabetes from a political perspective each week on my show. We will look at what's being done along with what needs to be done by our elected leaders to combat this chronic and potentially deadly disease. So let's begin with a little background in layman's terms. No medical terms here, folks. Diabetes is a chronic medical condition where your body struggles to manage the levels of sugar, specifically glucose, in your blood. Here's a simple way to understand it. Imagine your body is a car engine, and glucose is the fuel. Normally, insulin, which is a hormone produced by your pancreas, acts like a key, opening up cells so they can take in glucose to use as energy. But with diabetes, there is a problem with the key, and that's insulin. Type 1 diabetes your body doesn't produce enough keys, meaning not enough insulin. This is usually something that you're born with. In type 2 diabetes, the locks on the cells become rusty. In other words, your body doesn't respond to insulin as well as it should, and eventually the pancreas might not be able to keep up with the demand for insulin. This type usually develops over many years and is more common in adults, but can occur at any age. When there's not enough insulin, or cells stop responding to insulin, too much sugar stays in your bloodstream, which can cause health problems over time, such as heart disease, vision loss, and kidney disease. There's also a condition called prediabetes, where blood sugar levels are higher than normal, but not high enough to be classified as diabetes type 2. 
Without intervention, prediabetes is likely to become type 2 diabetes in 10 years or less. And then there's gestational diabetes, which some women develop during pregnancy. This usually goes away after the baby is born, but it can increase the risk of developing diabetes later in life for both mother and child. Now, while there's no current cure for diabetes, it can be managed with lifestyle changes like maintaining a healthy weight, eating well, staying active, and taking prescribed medications. With proper care and treatment, it is possible to live a near normal to normal life with diabetes. Over the next few episodes, we will examine diabetes, what it means for me, and what it can mean for you. I hope that you will keep it locked on WJMS Media and the Fired Up Podcast for more information on this issue. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. All right, so that announcement or that message uh, in the break between segment one and segment two Uh, tells you what we're going to be looking at for the month of November uh, as it is National Diabetes Awareness Month. Uh, And, you know, it starts out with, of course, uh, a proclamation from President Biden delivered on uh, October 31st. uh, And I'll read you a few excerpts from it. Uh, It is a proclamation on National Diabetes Month 2023, and it starts off with one in 10 Americans has has diabetes, and of that group, one in five of them do not know that they do. While the chronic condition is becoming more common, there is so much we can do to help prevent and manage it. During National Diabetes Month, we recommit as a nation to making treatment more affordable, improving care, and finally finding a cure. It goes on to say, every day millions of Americans with diabetes struggle to afford life-saving insulin. It costs drug companies just about $10 a vial to produce, but some charge more than 30 times that amount. Americans across the country have told me how high prices sometimes force them to ration their medication too often resulting in dangerous health complications that could have been avoided. Too many of them know what it is like to lay awake at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering how to choose between putting food on the table and buying the insulin they need to stay alive. It is wrong. So that was the introduction uh, from President Biden. And I could uh, add into that from my own experience uh, even though you know I have type 2 diabetes and not type 1, which is more expensive to treat, uh, it is still not cheap uh, for uh, the type of diabetes that I have. Uh, I, can, I can say that at one point uh, during the COVID pandemic, uh, my insurance coverage changed, and one of the medications that I took, uh, Jardiance, Uh, ended up having to be paid for out of pocket and it turned out that rather than being uh, $30 a month and I would buy my prescriptions in uh, three month uh, supplies uh, it turned into more than 300 a month Uh, which given the fact that I was on you know a a COVID related 
uh, furlough from work uh, made that drug unaffordable. And, you know, I am by no means a uh, unique case or one that uh, is, you know, not uh, typical of many households in this country that would have to deal with uh, the cost of necessary medicines uh, on, you know, a, a daily basis. So if we take the numbers uh, that were in the statement of 1 in 10 Americans, we're talking about 34 million people in this country. Uh, and, you know, that, that is no small number. Add into the fact that in the case of type 1 diabetes, where you are required to be injecting insulin, if a vial of insulin uh, is going to cost you $300 uh, a, a, a vial to consume and you need, you know, probably one of those vials uh, for, you know, I don't know how many doses, but let's say for sake of argument that, you know, it is you know, 10 doses per vial and you inject, you know, three or four times a day, which I have friends who have type 1 and some of them in, inject even more than that. They, they have as many as five uh, injections in a day because it's driven by your blood sugar level. Uh, so you can see where uh, fairly quickly you could get up into the you know, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars $9,000 a year just for a single medicine. And that may not be the only medicine that you take. So you know, the, the idea that um, one, as proposed, and, and we'll get back into the proclamation in a minute, uh, a, a proposed cap on those prices is a very welcome uh, feature for many Americans who face the, the challenges of managing their medications. Keep in mind, for, for those of you that don't have to take you know, prescription medications on, on a regular basis, that oftentimes it is not just a single medication that you're required to take. As I said, when I was taking um, the, the Jardians that uh, was prescribed to me, I also uh, was prescribed a drug called metformin, which is typical for diabetics. Uh, and, you know, that ran, you know, a lot less expensive, uh, but still, you know, over the course of a year, uh, it added up to, you know, uh, $1,000, $2,000 a year. When you get to those levels, you know, as, as someone who has to manage uh, their diabetes on, on a daily basis, you, know, you can begin to see the struggle that you have to go through. So let me get back into uh, the proclamation from the president because he makes a couple of good points uh, in it. He cited uh, in his uh, bipartisan legislation, the in Inflation Reduction Act, that one of the, the key features of that was a uh, law to reduce prescription drug prices, uh, among which capped insulin costs at $35 per month for seniors on Medicare, uh, and that was down from as much as $400 a month. Uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act finally gave Medicare the ability to negotiate for lower drug prices. And there's a list of 10 drugs that are included uh, in that 
uh, availability for negotiation, of which four are related to uh, diabetes. Uh, one is Jardians that, that I mentioned. Uh, there was a second called Genuvia, which is another uh, diabetes medication, uh, Farsiga, and uh, the uh, insulin component. Now, all of these, you know, again, if they are uh, capped at these lower level prices, uh, will assist uh, families, particularly uh, low income families uh, and you know, lower middle class families uh, greatly with you know, their prescription drug cost. Now, uh, as with any good news, there's a, a, you know, a, a little bit of downside to it is that under the law, these uh, new prescription prices won't take effect until 2026, uh, which means that, you know, for the next, uh, you know, two plus years to three years, uh, we're still going to be paying uh, those higher prices. But at least we have, you know, the hope and promise that, you know, in 2026, these prices will become much more reasonable. So, you know, it, it, it is you know, something to consider that, you know, these approaches uh, for diabetes, which is a, an extremely um, common uh, uh, ailment in, in the American public, um, these price caps are very good news. So what does that mean? Well, according to um, what's proposed in uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, as soon as next year, out-of-pocket drug costs uh, will be capped at about $3,500 per year. And then in 2025, the Inflation Reduction Act will cap total out-of-pocket drug costs for all seniors on Medicare at $2,000 per year, period, uh, which is really, really good news considering that, you know, when you're a senior and you're perhaps on, you know, living on a fixed income, uh, you know, that, that cap is going to be invaluable in helping to ensure that they can make ends meet. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, encouragement for developments in uh, assisting with the cost of these medications, uh, which are serious because, Diabetes, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, type 2 has serious consequences uh, and, you know, has serious impacts on your daily life. Um, but, you know, diabetes in general uh, is a leading cause of death in the United States uh, once diagnosed. Uh, it increases one's risk of heart attack, stroke, blindness, kidney failure, loss of toes, feet, or legs. Uh, so, you know, it, it's important that, you know, you monitor your health, do what you need to do to stay healthy, you know, eat right, exercise, uh, see your doctor regularly, and so forth. Um, because if you uh, can catch it early, then, you know, the, the disease can be uh, managed much more easily and have much less impact on your daily lives. Uh, so, you know, the, the first step in, in managing diabetes is understanding your potential for it. So, you know, you're, you should be talking with your doctor 
if you have uh, the risk factors that are out there and you know be checked for what is called pre-diabetes which is another term for you know high blood sugar levels if you have that your risk of developing uh, into a diabetic situation generally it starts with type 2 and then is if that progresses uh, uncontrolled it can then move to type 1 which is the more deadly version of the illness if you know that you know up front and begin your treatment at the pre-diabetes stage you can extend the amount of time before you uh, could incur uh, type 2 diabetes out by by many years uh, more than 10 years uh, at at the least uh, and the potentials there if it's caught really early that the progress of the disease with the medications that are that are available now can be stopped so you know it, it is like everything else you know it, it's on us to make sure that we are aware of our health conditions that we we uh, seek uh, medical evaluations on a regular basis and that we take the advice of our doctors to heart and do what needs to be done uh, really the the things that we need to do in order to uh, help you know control or postpone or manage you know pre-diabetes into type 2 diabetes and even type 1 are really uh, what are good for general health um, overall that is you know proper diet plenty of rest uh, exercise or activity you know all of these things should be part of a healthy lifestyle anyway but now you can get to see what the uh, overall and long-term benefits are so as as we're saying here at uh, WJMS media and the fired up podcast um, November is our health is our national health month uh, even though we are are concerned about health issues every month and every day uh, in November we are focusing um, on this show uh, in diabetes and on the WJMS media platform we're focusing on uh, uh, lung cancer as well uh, if you've listened to not only this show, but you follow WJMS Media on a regular basis, you know that you know lung cancer is you know uh, near and dear to our hearts for care and concern, uh, if for no other reason than our owner and CEO uh, is a cancer warrior who is is battling um, you know lung cancer on her own and you know through god's grace uh remains you know uh un, as she says unremarkable which is another term for saying you know her cancer is not progressing uh it is you know at a low level stage and so forth uh if you go to the wjms uh media website there are links there to information on you know the uh efforts that WJMS is taking on behalf of Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And, you know, if you continue to follow this show during the course of November uh, and beyond, because it won't end once November ends, we will talk about this uh, on an ongoing basis as a regular uh, feature every so often on our show. 
but if you go to the website you can link to uh, information you can link to resources and you can link to videos that Jamie has made uh, regarding her journey uh, through lung cancer so keep it keep it locked where you got it WJMS media and right here at fired up and uh, we'll help keep you healthy so you know that is the introduction to our month of uh, diabetes awareness uh, we're gonna have some uh, additional topics, more information for you, resources that uh, you can link to uh, to find out more of what you need to do to help keep you and your family uh, diabetes free uh, in 2024 and beyond. So you can get more information on um, diabetes uh, factors, risks, and what you can do to keep yourself healthy uh, the CDC has a website uh, dedicated to this it is uh, cdc.gov forward slash diabetes forward slash prevention so that cdc.gov forward slash diabetes d-i-a-b-e-t-e-s forward slash prevention and there you'll find uh, links to additional resources and information that you can download and you know guidance and so forth so I encourage you to uh, check that out all right so in in other news because there's always other news um, the <laughs> let's see the US Appeals Court in Illinois uh, you know we we uh, we have a gun problem here in this country. We have more guns than people, and we have uh, had uh, just an, an ongoing uh, battle uh, between uh, gun rights advocates and um, defenders of the Second Amendment uh, in in battle with people who believe there should be some common sense gun controls in place and that there should be you know uh, a, a ban on assault weapons in this country as well so in one of the latest battles uh, and this was in the news on November 4th uh, it uh, came out that the US Appeals Court upholds Illinois assault weapons ban amid calls for a federal law so the the article talks about uh, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals uh, affirmed what gun safety advocates have said from day one. The Protect Illinois Communities Act is a common sense law that will keep Illinoisians safe. And this is according to uh, Democratic uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker, uh, who signed the law that state legislatures passed after a July 4th, 2022 massacre at a parade in Highland Park so uh, the the upshot is that uh, there was a law proposed and passed uh, signed by Governor Pritzker that would uh, have put a uh, uh, a ban on the sale of assault weapons uh, in Illinois and the the uh, the gun rights advocates you know, immediately 
uh, filed suit and took it through the court system uh, to the uh, Illinois Appeals Court where they upheld the ban uh, that had been signed. Now, you know, it will remain to be seen uh, and is, is, prob- is high in probability that this will wind up in front of the Supreme Court. But for the, for the time being, uh, there is a victory in uh, sensible gun control uh, in this country. And you know, we've talked about on this show uh, many times how the, the idea of sensible gun control does not uh, mean that you know, the U.S. government is going to come bang on your door and take away your weapons. No, it, it means that we have reasonable and sensible controls on who can buy guns, uh, who cannot, uh, what type of, of weapons can be purchased. For example, uh, outside of military activities on the field of battle, uh, there is really a very small need for an assault-style rifle unless, as I said, you are a soldier or you are in uh, law enforcement uh, and, and have that need. Uh, so, you know, calling for sensible gun control is not equivalent to uh, calling for everyone to turn in their assault rifles at the nearest police station. Um, anyway. So, you know, we will keep uh, we will keep uh, a watch on this. Uh, As I said, it is highly likely, if not inevitable, that this law will wind up, uh, you know, being presented to the Supreme Court as one of the cases they take up. So we'll see what happens Uh, in another uh, case and another uh, area that is unfortunately near and dear to our Uh, hearts and our attention. Uh, There is an article that came out uh, that talked about uh, another tactic that Republicans are testing out uh, as we approach uh, Election Day, uh, not only in 2023, which by the time this airs will already have occurred. So we'll have some follow up on this Uh, hopefully on next week's show. But as we uh, roll headlong uh, for the year we have until uh, the general election in 2024, uh, this is uh, something that we're going to need to keep a close eye on. Uh, Basically, what it is, is this initiative uh, is, or this attack on the initiative really, is about what the title of the ballot initiatives are that is written on the ballots. And since you know statistics and data proves that most people don't read the full text of the ballot initiative, but yet they judge by the title of it whether or not it is a, an initiative they want to support, Republicans are are bringing to bear the tactic of writing these titles uh, in uh, somewhat am- ambiguous terms uh, and, you know, not necessarily clear terms so that people don't understand the initiatives that they are considering when they when they vote. The uh, 
the article uh, says and, and starts off and says, ballot initiatives are an essential evolution of American democracy. Uh, created over a century ago, they give millions of Americans a direct means to shape the laws that govern their lives and to check on legislative power when it's not responsive to the people. One of the things that, you know, that as the article is talking about is that in, in addition to their use of you know, supermajorities and gerrymandered districts and, and all of the tactics that we've talked about on this show for many, many, many months, uh, something new added to the mix is that the Republicans are resorting to manipulating ballot titles to deliberately confuse voters. Uh, and this uh, is starting to crop up in elections uh, in this current year. And we are likely to see an expanded effort in this as we move through the year on, on the march toward the general election. What this means, the ballot title is a concise summary intended uh, to accurately convey uh, the gist of a proposed law or measure. To give you, you know, in a, a, a few sentences, what this initiative uh, intends to do. And as I, I said a moment ago, for many voters, um, this is the only information they see. They, you know, don't do the due diligence like we tell you guys to do all the time here. Uh, so when they get in the ballot, uh, in the polling place or in the voting booth, they're reading these brief titles of the measure, not reading the full text of what the initiative is about. And if the, the title uh, doesn't convey the message in a way that appeals to them or is confusing uh, or, you know, any you know, ambiguity in it, then it's more likely that that initiative will be voted down rather than if they, they read the the title read the title and read the contents now as the article states uh, roughly two-thirds of states with ballot initiatives including California Massachusetts Missouri and Ohio use ballot titles that rely on language within the petition uh, and you know they say this approach ensures continuity and fairness as the language in the petition was shared during voter outreach. But while a fundamental aspect of di direct democracy is preserved, this method remains vulnerable to manipulation by disingenuous politicians. So, you know, it, it is the case where, uh, you know, again, by manipulating the title and the, the, or the descriptive sentences in the title of the, the ballot, you can change the perception of what the measure is to the voter. And, you know, their thinking is, um, you know, more likely influence a negative vote on a ballot initiative than a positive. The article states, um, Ohio Republicans manipulated the title of a pro-abortion measure on the ballot uh, on Tuesday uh, and I guess this was a prior uh, Tuesday, including removing the language of fetal viability. After Ohioans, Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights launched a lawsuit against the Republican-controlled state ballot board, 
a divided Ohio Supreme Court ruled that one element of the disputed ballot language was misleading and must be rewritten. While most of the word choices targeted in the lawsuit remained unchanged and deliberately deceiving, without the people's intervention, it could have been worse. So, you know, again, it's another tool in their toolbox, another tactic that is being used uh, in order to manipulate the outcome of elections uh, in the favor of uh, one party over the other. In this case, we're talking about Republicans, but I would uh, hazard that you know, in, in blue states, and heavily blue states, that there are probably instances of this happening on the Democratic side as well. But you know, clearly, uh, the Republicans are on a major effort to reduce, restrict, or otherwise control uh, the outcomes of elections so that they move more in their favor uh, as we go forward. So bottom line is, uh, as we always say, and it, it's really quite simple, do your diligence. When you get ready to go vote, read the ballot, read up about who the candidates are and which one you're going to choose, and read the text of the ballot initiatives so that you understand what these initiatives are intended to do and whether or not uh, they are something that uh, you are going to vote for or vote against. So as always, it's all about uh, what we do in preparation uh, so that when we come to the polls, uh, we can vote smarter. All right. So, you know, like anything else, do your homework, do your diligence, dig wider, dig deeper, get information from multiple sources and, you know, be smart when you go vote so that you are aware of what it is that you're voting for and, you know, what it is that you're not voting for. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We covered a lot of territory this time. Uh, again, November is uh, National Diabetes Aware Month, and we are going to be talking about uh, issues related to the politics of diabetes uh, throughout the month. Uh, please go to WJMS Media uh, website, wjmsmedia.com, Check out our links to the health-related topics that we have there. We are very much a platform uh, dedicated to promoting good health and your health in general. Uh, so, you know, if you have any questions about the program, if you have comments uh, you want to add, whether it's about the voting or about diabetes uh, or anything like that, send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. And uh, you can send a request, uh, post a comment, uh, post an opinion. I'd love to hear from you. All right. So that's going to do it, everybody, for this week. Have a great week. Stay safe. Uh, and I look forward to our next conversation in seven days. Mm-hmm.